And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 116 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Sunday, January 31st, 2016. Well, this coming uh, week is Super Bowl Sunday, folks, or rather the big game if we want to avoid the wrath of the NFL. That's right. Unless you pay the dough, you're not technically allowed to say the words Super Bowl or Super Sunday as the NFL has the copyright on that particular term. So we want to make sure we don't get into trouble here at PNR. And I thought I'd just replace Super Bowl, that word, with uh, what can I replace Super Bowl with? Let's see. uh, Oh, I got it. Let's go with waste of money. And of course, with the waste of money game, it's mostly not about the game, it's about the ads. And this year, 41 brands have announced that they'll create waste of money advertisements. Each have paid CBS, the home of the waste of money, a minimum of 5 million bucks for 30 seconds of precious waste of money airtime. So what kind of waste of money ads can we expect? Now listen carefully here, because one of these isn't actually true. See if you can figure out which one. Well, LG, the tech company, is going to be featuring Liam Neeson in advertising for their OLED technology. Looks like he'll be a man of many skills. It's a 30-second waste-of-money ad. Facebook will also feature a waste-of-money piece, focusing on his memory or their memory features where you can see heartwarming stories of what you did on the platform so many years ago. Pokemon has purchased its first waste-of-money ad to announce the release of their first Nintendo games. Apartments.com will also feature its first waste of money ad where they'll feature Lil Wayne and Jeff Goldblum and George Washington and his fake wooden teeth discussing the finer points of looking for an apartment. And finally, of course, Budweiser will once again be the mainstay of the waste of money number 50. Apparently won't be featuring any cute puppies as they have in years past because, you know, whatever they're going to debut, it's going to be a secret. I'll tell you which one it was in just a minute, but let's get to our own big game here. And I mean, our show is hardly a waste of money. In fact, you might call it the opposite of a waste of money. It's just me and my colleague, my friend, my co-host, and the best halftime show ever of the big game of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? I'm doing just fine. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Now, did you figure, did you figure out which one it was? Which one what? The, which, what the name of which, the waste of money game is? No, no, no. Which which one of those wasn't true? Which one of the ones that I just went through isn't actually a waste of money commercial this year? Tell me. Which one? It's So for you playing at home, it was the Facebook ad. Facebook will not be on the uh, waste of money game this year. I this, should have known that. Yeah. But the the rest of them are true. Pokemon, Pokemon's going to have a Super Bowl ad. Apartments.com is going to have a Super Bowl ad. It's kind of nutty, actually. I think the whole copyright thing, though, is silly. It is. I mean, well, I've told you, you know, I mean, you know, I've been to the acapella group Straight No Chaser, you know, a bunch of times with the kids and they love it. And they have this whole thing in the beginning where they say, look, we got found on YouTube. And we want you to video, t- video record anything that you want to do, share it, right? Because this is a good thing. And I just, I still don't get that whole uh, conception that oh, we, you know, no, no, no videotape. We got to say it this way. You know, we got to protect it. I mean, I get it, but I don't get it today. I, I, I don't get it in where if the Super Bowl was a sort of up and coming thing where they were trying to avoid any kind of brand damage. I would kind of get it, but to think that 
the subway shop down the road, which is going to run an ad for a foot long subway, you know, sandwich for, you know, as the Super Bowl, you know, foot long. It's like I just just crazy to me that 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 has any effect on their on their brand at all. So it, to me, I'm I'm in a firm in agreement. I, I think it's I think it's a little silly. Maybe we should uh, maybe we should do that with the term content marketing. Yeah, <laughs> every maybe time, we should. Just anytime say, you hey, want to use the word, I'm sorry, you have to pay a royalty. Could you, you know? There's one. There's probably what like a hundred articles a day now on content right, marketing. Exactly. We could just spend our time. That's our new revenue one. stream. That is our new revenue model. Is, I'm is sorry. to be a, a, a copyright troll for the words content marketing. We're just gonna stop doing everything. Else we do, we're going to hire a bunch of lawyers, and that's it. That's our new business model. I, I love it. Might, actually, we should talk afterwards it. about that. That might be something to it. <laughs> so, anyways, did we have any? Uh, we did any have news some news. Week? It was uh, a, a, an oddly slow news week, um, but uh, there's the the first story that is a really interesting one sent to us by a number of people. So thank you, thank you uh, to those out of uh, that sent this over. This comes from, you know, uh, someone we've all known forever, a sort of, you know, celebrity of the Internet, Dave Weiner, um, who uh, is writing on scripting.com, wrote a post called Anywhere But Medium. And he opens up the post by saying, last night I posted a tweet. Next time you want to post an essay to Medium, do the open web a favor and post it elsewhere, anywhere, Tumblr, WordPress.com, basically anywhere. He then goes on to describe how there was a blog post that he saw that he just thought was really, really wonderful, and he was hoping that he would be able to link it somewhere where uh, he considers the open web and goes on to discover or discuss, rather, how Medium.com really represents this idea of a closed web, and he really wants people to basically do what we've been talking about, which is create your own media space and not build your home on rented land. And I thought it was a really interesting take for bloggers and for anyone who wants to create content and an argument for why they should do it on something not medium. What did you think? You know, I, what I loved about Dave's take with this is he, he said it's it, all, medium has almost become the place where, well, I really don't want to do consistent content yeah, exactly yeah. which you would do with a blog so right. i've got this thought and it's a big picturey type thing and i want to get good and he calls it flow you know i want good right. traffic yep. i want good attention on it so i want so what i'm going to do with that well let's put it on medium it just seems like now it's that default place for the thought leader out there from generally a startup or a tech company just to say oh you know being an entrepreneur is hard, and here's the twenty things that I learned. And <laughs> right. That all, you know, that yeah, it right. just. When did that happen? And of course, I agree with most of this uh, this article. And I think the the thing that that bothers me the most about this trend. Actually, I love Medium. I mean, I yeah, I Medium's think beautiful. I just signed up for an account. Tool. Yeah, just I, to test it out. I think it's a fantastic tool. I think the the concern that I have is so many people jumping over to it, putting their business model. Uh, basically putting their content in front of or giving it to medium, which basically controls the business model. Right. And I don't control that. And uh, I don't know. It, it just seemed, I guess it's similar to publishing on Facebook, on LinkedIn um, as well. But LinkedIn just seems a little bit different to me for some reason, but I guess they're similar. Um, I mean, would, would you ever recommend a brand to publish regularly over on Medium? I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't recommend that that be the place, the only place where that particular piece of content lives. You know, I mean, so in other words, 
post a medium, but post somewhere else too, right? Po- you know, in other words, have your own platform and then, yeah, post it to medium as well because there's no, you know, there's no reason not to really. I mean, you know, we can argue about SEO and duplicative content and all that kind of stuff, but it's easy enough to sort of work that. And quite frankly, if, if you know, I mean, look, I there are, there are many articles that I will post on, you know, like I, I've, I, I, I did a year's worth of test on LinkedIn and to see if it was worth it. In other words, I took my, the ICC letter that I write every week, which is approximately a five or 750 word um, uh, post every mm-hmm. week. And then about a couple of weeks after it was available to the people that subscribe to the ICC, I put it on my LinkedIn channel. And I did that for a year just to see what would happen. And, you know, some of them got a lot of feedback. Some of them got a lot of shares. Some of them got some links and some of them got some very nice comments. But it didn't really do much. I mean, it other than sort of keep my LinkedIn up to date, which I don't necessarily need to do. I didn't see – I didn't really see it moving any needles for me. And not certainly like sending it out in the email newsletter that we have with the ICC subscribers does. So, I, you know, to me, moving it there is sure, do it. But, I, you know, unless you have some sort of business reason to do it, the action that it's going to create, I I don't really see a lot of purpose in it. Well, that's the thing. I mean, if you think about – it's funny. I was watching one of Mitch Joel's talk uh, when he presented in Content Marketing World. Uh, last year, and he basically said something like 50% of the images shared out today are from Facebook slash Instagram, and almost 50% are Snapchat. So look, a hundred, almost 100% of all the video or all the image sharing going on are from those three platforms wound wow. by Facebook. One, And it just blows you away. And I'm thinking about this in, in terms of this article we're talking about, and I'm like, do we? can we even fight this battle? And, and even the rave that you had last week about the the Fab Four, sure, and yeah, how much right. I mean they really do own the majority of internet real estate going on out there. Yeah. So I'm like, so I'm, I'm trying to think of okay, can you make a case for something like a medium? And here's where I could make a case for it if I'm a brand. If you were going to consistently deliver something like this on medium, and your call to action was an email newsletter to sign up. Because then at least you are you have some you're building some kind of own platform that you can at least somewhat control and communicate directly with your customers, with your readers, and then you can use that as the owned property, if you will, and you can start to, you know, look at your channel strategy of Medium and Facebook and LinkedIn and Snapchat and whatnot, and you could say, oh, This is the thing to sign up because even as you know, you you know I talk about uh, you know, BuzzFeed all the time where you know, if you're the if you're the publisher of BuzzFeed, you're you're a little concerned that all your connections are wrapped up in Facebook and Snapchat and things that you can't control. So what do you do? And now we've we've talked about this on the show that there's BuzzFeed has so many e newsletters it's almost laughable. They've got one on cats, which I think is awesome, by the way. <laughs> just a, just you just want an e newsletter update weekly on cats, we've got that for you. We've got that in your, in the bag, but I think that so so from that standpoint, I'm wondering if you could leverage this strategy as long as you have it going to something owned, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the blogging platform. It could well, be a print. It could be a, a print magazine. Sure, it could be something else that you control as much as you can. You can't control everything, but as much as you can, that dialogue back and forth. 
here's the way I look at it is would I be willing to spend so think of it from the native advertising lens right so if you look at those platforms as not your platforms but platforms by which you may be able to steal or borrow or share or whatever it is some portion of their audience to your owned media platform if you looked so what would you be willing to spend if LinkedIn charged you money in other words, if LinkedIn said, yeah, sure, you can blog on our platform, but it's going to cost you money. Would you be, would you be willing to spend money to put your content there and, 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 put, your, and put your post there? Because that's sure. ostensibly what you're doing. You're not, you're not paying any money now, but you're basically giving over your content to another platform for them to monetize in their way. And what is your goal for doing that? Now, when you pay money to do that, like if you do that on Forbes Insight or you do that on the New York Times or Condé Nast or some one of the other things where you're going to pay money for the privilege of having that space with that audience, well, you understand that the reason that you're paying money for it is because you're getting some highly concentrated audience that's ultimately hopefully going to come over and engage with the content in your own media property and sign up for your email newsletter and yada, yada, yada. So now why wouldn't you take the same lens and look at it for LinkedIn and for you know, anything else or for medium or those properties as well. It doesn't cost you any money, but it's not your platform. Yeah. And well, so- that's the key. That's the key right there. Because the, the, we're talking about a media business model. And the, the core focus of a media business model, as we've talked about many times, is the audience. Right. And building that audience and the behavior changes and the value of that audience. And it's not that you can't build an audience on Medium or Facebook or LinkedIn because you can. You absolutely can. The problem is, is that your access to that audience, you you have nothing to do with that. That's exactly. the issue. Exactly. That's the issue. And so ultimately, I guess my takeaway is to, to, to your question is, yes, if I could repurpose my content that I'm creating for my owned media property in a way that I could put it on Medium or LinkedIn or any of those platforms and then get an audience from it and be able to generate the subscriber and the data associated with that, then sure, of course I'm going to do it. It's like any other great channel that helps me get reach. And if I can reach more people by doing this and convince them to come over and become a part of my uh, audience, then then great. I, I'm I'm all for the platform. And the, and by the way, Medium's a beautiful platform. It's for for authoring. I've just been playing around with it. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, and and as we talked about, and obviously, um, you and I are working on our, our new training course for for Sprig. And you know, one of the things that that you talk about, there's two ways to go. You could start building your own platform and it does take time. It takes patience. It takes consistency. You have to have a focus on a particular audience and you can do that and you can be successful, but not right away. Or you can really build it on a medium, on a YouTube, on an iTunes. And it's much faster because the audience is already there. They're there and the the, the, the tools are there. But the challenge is is there. Yeah, Yeah. the consumption is there. But the challenge is you've got to work backward then because then you've got to push people backward back to your owned property. Um, and it's and sometimes that happens and sometimes it not it doesn't. So if you have a an iTunes po- podcast that has two hundred thousand subscribers, uh, what are you going to do with those? Are, are you going to try to get those people to sign up to an email to your blog? Like, what are you going to do to get connection? Ours is different. See, this whole marketing podcast is different because we already have our own media channel, contentmarketinginstitute.com, and this is just one of the ways we leverage repurposing of content throughout that whole whatever, the uh, ecosystem of content, if you That's will. right. 
That's so. right. And we well, and we know that if you well, I'm not going to go into it, but but we know that if you subscribe to multiple platforms, you ultimately become a more loyal, more uh, uh, you spend more with CMI, et cetera, et cetera. And so the understanding of the behavior of the consumer, even though in this particular case, you're right, we don't have the actual contact information of the iTunes subscriber, we heck, we can show categorically that this podcast helps us drive more email subscriptions to CMI, helps drive uh, attendance at our events and helps and so et cetera, et cetera. So not to put too fine a point of irony on this, but this old marketing is a content marketing play for Content Marketing Institute. Yes. I mean, it's that the, it's that straightforward. I think everybody knows this. I think, every, I, think I don't I think, think it's people, a big secret. I think people know this. But Shh, so don't here's, tell anybody. But before we go on to the next news item, which I, I know we ha- desperately need to, I have to end with this. This is what I think is going to happen. You you you're going to have more brands that are going to go on Medium. Are going to keep going on Snapchat, and which is all the rage these days. And of course, we got Facebook and YouTube and iTunes, and we've sort of given in to the fact that. The platforms are not under our control, so we have to go out and find them, and we go and we have to play by Facebook's rules or YouTube's rules or whatever. And we're going to be two years, five years down the line, and you're going to have the haves and have-nots, and the haves are going to be the ones that didn't give in to that, that actually built an asset over time, and the have-nots are going to be like, oh man. I wish I wouldn't have. <laughs> I wish right. I wouldn't have just done it on that platform because now I got to pay X amount on Medium or Medium's dead. It's gone. I mean, look what's happening with Twitter today. We don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. That's they could right. get bought out. They could be gone. It, who knows? It's crazy what's going on there. So that's that's what I, I think is going. I think happen. you're right. I think in I think in three to five to six years, maybe one of the big stories will be. You know, lot. You know, I can see. I can just see it in my head. Lots of blog posts. Is it too late to start? Right. You know. In other words, successful brands are doing this. You're seeing success. The work has paid off. The patience has paid off. And the headlines will be: Is it too late to start? You know, can you can you actually even start now? Because it's been you know all these brands that are out there succeeding with this. And but is it is it already too late? It, it'll be it, it'll be fascinating. Actually. Yeah, those ones that make it, you know, the other ones that are inside the platforms are going to mock them. It's going to be like, oh, like <laughs> you have to come over to the dark side. It's going to be like a Big Brother type thing. Like, like Big Brother is watching. Yeah, like, like what are you doing out it's there? It's like the Hunger corner? Games. Yeah, it's Hunger yeah, Games. Yeah, exactly. You're going to have to come in, and then you're going to be like scared. Like, oh my gosh, like I'm really scared for my life here. Okay, yeah. anyways, may may you may <laughs> what is it? May the fortunes be in your favor. <laughs> All right, moving on to our All next right. story. This one comes to us uh, courtesy of a. We will the, what we're going to link to in the article is actually ironically enough a native ad uh, book but the but the report here is actually quite good um and so uh the headline here is most organizations are still struggling to deliver personalized content says a pwc report uh, research that they've done the research itself is a little um is a little old it's about a year old now but i think the themes of it we have just started to read it's quite long and 
quite comprehensive, actually. Um, and they actually do a really interesting thing. The article starts out by saying, how are organizations creating emotional connections around content-rich experiences? What media assets are supporting these personalized experiences? What best practices lead to a steady and consistent distribution of targeted content at greater scale and with reduced cost and complexity? I mean, they couldn't have just, like, they couldn't have read our minds anymore on this. It's just a fantastic way to open. And they set out to answer these important questions and interviewed, um, I think it was about 400, 360, I believe, senior level executives at large companies around the world, North America to the Middle East, across you know the entire planet, and basically really just looked at all of these issues and then segmented everybody into sort of these different maturity models, either sort of explorer or uh, I can't remember what the other one is. And then the last one is nomad, sort of three levels of maturity here and what those brands were doing at their different levels of maturity that others weren't doing or that, you know, or that were doing better. It's a fascinating report. What did you think about this? Well, a couple things. This is a long report and I actually have to I've skimmed through it. I've read through certain parts, and I want to give it uh, give it some time that it, it deserves and go through some of this. A couple things uh, that I found was interesting. One, it actually backs up the research that Content Marketing Institute and Marketing Pros have been doing for the past six years, that the majority of marketers, marketing organizations out there are still uh, at a very nascent stage. Uh, they're just getting started, just trying to figure this out. So there's a lot of talk in this report about you got to find your content champion and if you got to figure out a way to work with other people in the organization, stuff that, that we've been talking about for a long time, but still a very beginner, beginner-ish type level. And so we know that even though content marketing has been around for a long time, we're still at the very basic level. This one I thought was interesting. It sort of for our conversation last week <laughs> as well. But there's a question here and it says, how are you justifying your investment in marketing content? Which I thought was interesting. They said marketing content instead of content marketing. But then they, but then they, they just, talk about this is how the content investment is justified. Uh, first of first one is sales effectiveness. The third one is revenues. And the fifth, sixth one is lower cost of sales. Um, the other one is return on marketing technology investment. Basically, what we've been talking about forever, sales, savings, or customer loyalty. You know, basically a behavior change of right. some kind that's, right. that's positive for the overall brand. I was looking for it, Robert. I didn't see anything about web traffic. I didn't <laughs> right. see anything uh, about social oh, sharing in there. Oh, dear. Which are, yes. by the way, are very good, very things, good things, but they're low-level indicators that if you take that up, and that's what we talk about, you never take a Google Analytics report and show that to your CMO because right. they're going to be like, well, where's the money? Like, what are you showing me here? Because right. as you, you talk about this in your workshop all the time. So I could take a Google Analytics report and I could say it's good or bad, depending on what you want me to say. I, can I make could you take say anything you want to say right. anything. Exactly. That's right. And I think that's where we have to get, stop focusing. And that was the whole topic of you know last week's uh, podcast that posted on Saturday on the CMI site was the fact that just stop it with the whole web traffic and social thing. And you could measure that stuff to death over and over and over again, and it's not going to show you anything. That's right. It's not going to show you anything that you want to see, and that's what you want to see is your, your change of behavior in your audience. That's all we really care about. Yeah, 
Yeah. So, anyways, exactly this right. report kind of goes into that. It's really good. I mean, the, there's you know two things leap or leapt out at me. I, I'll I'll just note really quickly here, and like you, I'm actually going through it in in some level of detail here. Was there's one a, a fascinating one, which is when they asked everybody who was creating content in the organization, and it's amazing to me how flat that is. In other words, if you know if you look at it across all the different groups, and they basically look at product brand marketing teams or distribution teams or customers and user-generated content and communications and customer care and the central team with expertise like a center of excellence or suppliers or partners or agencies or account, all of them are above 30%. And so, you know, it's a very flat thing. And what it tells me is, is that we're still, and this is, I would support this with anecdotal evidence from what our, what we do with our advisories is content is still kind of everybody's job. It's everybody is creating content in some way. And it'll be interesting to see how those sort of barometers shift up and down as more and more content marketing strategies and content strategies even more broadly become more centralized, focused, and the goal becomes to decrease the quantity of content in favor of the quality of content. And then the second thing I'll touch on quickly here is they have a whole section on this. This has become my new mantra of how do you draw a business case for content marketing. To me, yes, great. Revenue, more leads, better leads, better greasing through the funnel, all that kind of stuff. They have a whole section here on it's number three, no customers through data. And to me, that's the that's the only business case really you need is, and as they say here, they open it up by saying, connecting with a well-informed consumer takes more than a product pitch or clever tagline. Rather, Marketers need to create emotional connections around content-rich experiences across a variety of online and offline touch points. And then they quote um, this guy from, uh, or, or excuse me, Allison Lewis, chief marketing officer at J&J, Johnson & Johnson, who we also talk about in our workshop, where she says, content needs are exploding as we move to a world of precision marketing and 24-7 engagement. Getting the right message to the right person at the right time has never been easier driven by digital and data. And to me, content marketing is the engine that can drive that data aggregation and our ability to deliver that right message. So even if it does nothing other than help you know your customer more intimately and better and what they care about, content marketing is a thing worth doing. That's Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, pulling pull actually, and we saw this at Craft as well. Is that they're they're pulling money that was normally spent on research? Research, yeah, exactly. That's right. where the budget comes from. The last thing that I'll say on it because you talked about number three, which is know your com- customers through data. Number one, you know, we always we were just talking about having the median uh, medium conversation, but number one is start with your business priorities. There's two whys here. Why do you do it as an organization? Because you don't necessarily want to say, oh, we need to do content marketing. We need to start a blog, the what. Uh, don't get into that. Why are you going to do it? And also, why is what? Why should the customer care? Why That's are you right. doing it for them? What's their why? And I think those are the two whys. Uh, I don't know. Have we talked about the two whys before? I don't know. I know we always talk about Simon Sinek and the why, like your why as an organization or as an individual. But I think sometimes we forget about, yes, there there needs to be a why for the business, but there also has to be a why for the customer. Exactly. And sometimes we forget about that one. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. All right. Well, let's move on to our uh, next story here. And this one comes to us from Digiday.com. And ding, 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 ring the bell. Here we go. The first time for the show, we're talking about native ads. And The Guardian is now calling native ads paid content. 
The article opens up by saying, when it opens or when it comes to native advertising, The Guardian is finally calling a spade a spade. On Monday, The Guardian announced some tweaks to how it labels both its native advertising and content that's supported by sponsors. Content paid for and controlled by advertisers will now be labeled as paid content or paid for by, both of which are far more clear than brought to you by. I'm not sure I buy that, but all right, let's keep going here. The content used to carry uh, independent content funded by sponsors, but created by Guardian reporters will also be labeled more clearly. The Guardian will stamp them with a supported by tag. I think that's burying the lead a little bit there, but let's, I want to talk about that. But what did you think about this, Joe? Well, first of all, the picture that Digiday uses is of Times Square, and there's a huge Kodak ad there. And I'm, this picture must be five years old. I mean, come on. Sure, right. <laughs> exactly, right. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so just like, I just noticed that right away. Jeffrey Hazlett, again. <laughs> uh, I think that paid. if you just said paid content, that's clear. That's clearer than brought to you by. Don't you think? Uh, maybe you disagree with that oh well so here's what right so i'm just looking for consistency here i, I just I find, think we that's all exactly call it, it the same thing I, you know look i i here's what i i say pay you know i i'm gonna posit i don't know that this is true but i'm going to posit that the average consumer one doesn't give a crap but two wouldn't understand the difference if i said this is paid content. This is yes. brought to you by. Is anyone any clearer? And they're going to go. I don't even know what you mean. What does paid content mean? Does that you mean might they, be right. they, they paid the content? They they pay the content is paid for. Well, I, I talked. You know, to, well, I, yeah. When I did that uh, session in New York with the consumers, they didn't know. They had no. We showed them four or five different things about brought to you by and paid content. They had no clue what it was. Right. Whether it was paid by somebody, maybe it was. Maybe we should just say it. It should be a very long description and say something like, "We are the publisher. We really didn't want to take this, but we're desperate for money, so we're taking this piece of content." Sorry, here right. it is. And so that, that be that would that's what. That's really, but what to me, yeah, and, 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 and to me, the, the the lead that is buried here is the the the. the where it says independent content funded by sponsors, but by created by Guardian reporters, is going to have the supported by that's tag, different, which is even that's more different. confusing to me. That's because different. quite yeah. frankly, if 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 Guardian reporters are creating the content that is then paid, to, I mean, look again, as I've said a million times, I have no dog in this fight, but to me, that sets up a higher level of conflict of interest than even if the advertiser created the content doesn't it i think there's all it's it's almost like we're we're sort of splitting hairs here i know i I know i trust content is paid content i know right now here's the thing we've talked about this i think the best models for example if you look at the wall street journal and new york times anything that they do from a native standpoint is created by uh wall street journal people you know people that are paid the writers for the wall street journal or the new york times or something like that so it's not created uh by like the advertiser is not doing that now it's still in a lot of cases it's still approved by the client because the client's not going to pay for something and then not have approval over that right but i think that that's the same that it should be the same thing whether or not you're giving you know carte blanche to create a piece of content on forbes versus what you're doing on new york Times. we should all cover it the same way it's just paid content 
forget the supported by, uh, for you know, forget the funded by, financially <laughs> obligated by. Right, exactly. We should just all call it the conflict same thing of regardless. interest. Because I think you're right. <laughs> but yeah. they sort of the, the the article doesn't the artist sort of give them some kudos for like saying hey at least they're trying to delineate yeah i look and i give them kudos for experimenting yeah. here i i certainly don't have a bone to pick with the guardian by trying to do something really interesting and making it clearer here i'm just not sh- to me look to me I, I i guess what i sort of fall back on is i kind of don't see what all the fuss is about to be honest i i just I'm, I'm, and I know I'm not in the, I'm, I'm definitely in the minority here because there are people who care deeply that, about this issue and really, really find the whole thing very distasteful. And, you know, this goes back to even the John Oliver piece that last year was so popular and um, all that kind of stuff. And I get it. I, I get it. I get it. I guess I'm a marketing guy at heart, and so I just sort of look at it and go, hey, I'm going to play with the game that you give me. If you tell me it has to say supported by, great. If you tell me it's going to say paid by, great. Yeah. Kind of don't care. Kind of don't care what it's going to be. Whatever the rules of engagement Whatever are. Whatever the rules are, just yeah, let you want me to... know and I'll, I'll conform. Yeah, and you want to stand out as much as you possibly exactly. can. We've talked about it. You want to steal that audience, and that's that's kind of what we're – what we're in it for. Exactly. I mean, I think the, but the big issue, the reason why this became such a huge issue, because it never was really a huge issue in print, is because of social media. Like right. Twitter, for that's example. Right. That's right. Yeah. So that's where the Forbes thing always gets me, right? Because when I see a Forbes link, I want to know, okay, is this a Forbes article from a Forbes writer? Is it from a Forbes contributor, which is very different? Or is it a paid piece? I don't know. Right, right. So that's right. where when I look at a Forbes link, I'm like I sort of shy away from it a little bit. All right. Well, that's fair enough. That's a, that's a, that's So that's where yeah, I think it yeah. really comes no, in that's, because that's there's, a good there's a lot of confusion out there with the user experience. Whereas if you're just looking at a magazine or a newspaper, it's right there. That's It's all there. You're not getting – you've opened it up <clears> and you see the same experience as everyone else does. That's right. Well, speaking of native advertising, <laughs> we have a wonderful sponsor. To Absolutely. talk about, and it's a new sponsor, which is even better. It's just even more awesomer than it could possibly be. Is we this have is, this new this wonderful is not, sponsor, but this isn't not. This is not native advertising, is it? This is just advertising. This yes. is our sponsor. No, I meant this segment. is well, yeah, that's right, that's right. This We're segment, calling it out. Da 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 da. We're putting our music in. Da 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 da. Yes, like exactly. this is no. There's no. There's no native about it. <laughs> right. We love them because it's brought to you by, and, sponsored by, paid yeah, for, and to, in yeah, cooperation by with really good, really good people, but <laughs> yeah. nonetheless paid. Yes, um, by AdStation, and this is a first-time advertiser. So can you ring the bell on that? Ding ding ding. There you go. We need a special bell. I mean something. Like some kind of a sound. Maybe I should put a sound in and sound editing. All right. Anyways, this is this is called the content monetization ebook. Now everybody wants to monetize their content. I think we've got an ebook for that. So one of the biggest questions we get on this show, and maybe one of the biggest challenges to content marketers is how can I monetize my content? If I boy, monetize wasn't a big word in the past. That's a really big word. Everybody's using monetize. That is, how can I safely insert targeted branded advertising and offers into my emails without driving subscribers away? So this is very good. If you've got your own media platform, you're trying to figure out, well, what offers make sense? What offers don't? Well, the good news is, is that there's this company that's obviously sponsoring our show today called AdStation. That's exactly what they do. They put together an ebook on content monetization that lays out exactly how to dramatically increase your revenue per user without attrition. 
and they want us to want you to download it. Actually, I got to tell you, Robert, because we always download these things beforehand because I want to read it. I want to make sure it's good. It's actually a good piece of content. It's actually quite good. Uh, you'll see what I mean if you download it. Ad Stations Content Monetization ebook. You can download it right now at bit.ly or bitly.com slash adstation dash content dash monetization bit.ly slash ad station dash content dash monetization it'll also be in the show notes available on itunes or stitcher as well as the post on saturday so special thanks wait. ring the bell to ad station we <clears throat> appreciate it which is our february uh, sponsor absolutely so that's, that's i can't wait i downloaded it just before the show and i'm just gonna i'm gonna i'm on the plane out to see you i'm actually gonna read this thing and get so by the next week's show i'll have all sorts of wonderful things to say about it i'm i am sure that it's great so yes thank you to ad station although i think next week they're doing something different but anyways (laughs) well there's that too i'll I'll always be a week behind you'll always have what else is new i'll always have i'll always have something all right that is so now ladies and gentlemen is your favorite part of the show it is our rants and rave segment where joe and i go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that has got us all up in knots about Oh, who might win that big game and or who uh, might lose that big game? Um, and uh, who you got, by the way, who you think is uh, who you think is going to win? Who I think is going to I think Carolina is going to win. Yeah, I've got no you know, I don't care. I mean, my my as you know, I've got no right. our, our, <laughs> our right. dogs are out of the race. Exactly. So we've got nothing. Our dogs it, are whimpering in a corner. Yeah, right exactly. Now. All I keep hearing are Johnny Manziel. Uh, <laughs> You know, news that he's being tracked down by some helicopter somewhere, so, you know, whatever. Uh, I I I think Carolina is going to win, yeah. Uh, but I'm I'm actually really rooting for Peyton Manning because I, I, I just Same the here. thing that bothers me the I think most the world is rooting for Peyton Manning. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what bothers me the most is that it's it's gonna if he doesn't win, it's gonna be he could never win the big game, and I think that I I just hate that for any one individual. And Cam has plenty of time. That's right. So I think that's right. I think that's right. All right. So I guess uh, I'm doing this old marketing. So I'm going first. All right. There you go. There you go. So all right. So. So the blog post that we're going to put in the show notes here comes from Diginomica.com. And basically the headline of the article is content strategy takes a big shift say that very slowly um why i was wrong (laughs) and so you know what i mean i mean come on now i gotta be careful and so that's the title this is the title for the the the, the big shift (laughs) yeah <laughs> the content. Anyway, anyway, we're suddenly fourteen years old. All right, so this is a guy who works uh, at Diginomica. I believe he is the editor or one of the owners or something like that. And he says he opens up by saying, "Look, I was wrong about content strategy in October of 2013. He took a position. He blinks to his blog post on that, and he was debating Ryan Skinner of Forrester, who Ryan, of course, is the content marketing analyst over at Forrester. And he sort of does a mea culpa in this thing by saying that he that he's." Um, really had to rethink what content marketing and really creating content strategies around content really look like. And I love the article. I, I think it's fantastic. One, that he takes the mea culpa approach. Two, he sort of outlines, I think, is a really interesting uh, an interesting way that he got to sort of his position on it, his sort of refreshed position on it. So just it's – I won't spoil the article by – well, I'm about to spoil at least a couple of parts of it, but – 
here's the thing, and I want to just, because he takes a bit of a, you know, he sort of walks through his process of getting to the end conclusion here, and I think there's a really interesting thing. We've talked about it on this show before, and I don't know whether this is a rant or a rave, but but either way, it's sort of a commentary, if you will, which is, We've got to separate out two things, and we talked about it on this show, we've talked about it on another show, which is the difference between what bloggers do and what companies do when it comes to content. Companies are not the same as bloggers. The strategy is different. He goes on sort of in the mid part of the article where he talks about this idea that we've seen everywhere where we're hearing about bloggers needing to sort of, you know, figure out that Facebook and LinkedIn and Medium and all of these places where we can place long form content and really the, you know, the internet is sort of a- aggregating around from an audience perspective are the places to be. And if you want to be heard, if you want to be seen, if you want to sort of look at yourself, that's where you need to be. And from a blogger I, from a blogger lens, if I'm looking at it, through, you know, purely as I am a blogger in this world and that's how I'm going to make my money, I kind of see it. I mostly don't for all of the aforementioned reasons that we've talked about on the show, but I, I can even kind of see that light through the trees. When we're a company, if we're a brand, if we're an, an organization looking to make hay with content marketing, it is not the same thing. When we talk about any kind of smart content strategy and setting up it as a company, as a brand, as a product-oriented organization for marketing purposes, ultimately, traffic, virality, sharing only matter if the customer, if the prospect takes a direct action, if they change their behavior because of the content we're creating. This is both the difference, by the way, and the advantage we have over a traditional media company. One of the questions I get most often asked at a thing is at a workshop or an advisory is, okay, but is it really, you know, the media companies out there have such an advantage over us. And the, and the fact is they kind of don't. Media companies have to basically, and you've said this very, very elegantly, the number of masters that they have to serve. One of them, of course, being advertisers. So the idea of eyeballs and traffic become very, very important. Sharing, traffic, eyeballs become very, very important. Remember, bloggers make their money in many ways just the exact same way. They make their money from eyeballs, traffic, sharing, benefactors, advertisers, Google ads, affiliate links, you know, so many different ways to monetize if you're a sort of lone blogger out there trying to make your way in the world. All of that says, you know what, the social media thing is a, as a property of where I want to put my content and find my audience, maybe not such a bad idea. But as he says, and, and I love the way he sort of closes out his, his post here, because this to me gets to the nut of all of that. He, he says, and I'm quoting now for him, a winning distribution strategy should deepen relationships with vertical audiences and cultivate opt-ins based on topic authority. He says, let's say you published a piece on Walmart and retail change. Would you rather have 500 Twitter shares or 500 email subscribers who want your retail analysis? You'd rather have the targeted audience as long as that topic is relevant to your paid products and services. And to me, that's the key difference. It's building that audience. And I think this is just a great post of how he came to that argument. And so it's, you know, it's a rave for me this week. I I really love the post. The one thing that I thought I guess I want to ask you if you think it's missing because in this one, by the way, you're correct. It's great, great read. Uh, but he goes, John goes through here and says, quality is only one of the four attributes of successful enterprise content. One, quality and relevance. Quality still beats quantity most of the time. Two, distribution platform. Content on a popular platform has a huge head start. 
three, user experience, ease of content consumption, particularly on mobile devices, is becoming a content deal breaker. Four, engagement, true engagement, meaning interactions and action steps provoked by the content is the ultimate differentiator. I think you and I would agree to all that, but I, I'm missing consistency. I really think that the number he mentions five it should at be the end. Yeah, he mentioned. I think he mentions it at the end. He mentions consistency. I would agree with you. I would put it in. The, so you're well. right. I would put it in the yeah. in the four or the five now. Yes, it would be because I think that's where I think the drop off happens. Because yeah. if you have those first four, but you're not consistent, I don't know if you can be successful. I, I think that's don't. right. I think that's and right. And if you, if you look at the greatest media brands of all times, you know that you can't be successful because there are no successful media companies uh, that haven't done it without consistently delivering that's right their content promise so. that's right so anyway yes great point excellent point excellent point thank you that was that was very nice that was that was wonderful. very nice thank that you. was very that was very thoughtful <laughs> of you i'm going to pick up my glasses now and i'm going to do my oh my, my rant gosh. actually i was str- i've been torn a little bit this week i gotta tell you because as you you and i both we get our fair share of negative uh, commentary coming our way and things like that. You get used to it. You get thick skin, and and there. But the, for some reason, this one that you know we talked about last week on uh, about the e consultancy blog and the, the whole article was. And I'm not going to go into the details of it, but it was in t- it, the blog was uh, why the brands as publishers trend is utter nonsense. And I, we talked about on the show last time that my blog comment didn't go through, but it finally went up and through through there, and I and actually posted twice on there. And had a response or two to them. Um, and the author of that article actually made a comment on our blog. And you and I have to comment on that. Or I'll probably comment on that uh, tomorrow uh, when I get around to it. But here's here's what I've been thinking about all day. And I wanted to get your, your input on it. Sure. So, isn't the best way to communicate with our customers direct communication? It's meaning... We don't have to communicate through someone else's platform, a distributor, if you will. So today we can actually try to communicate directly, which is what we, you know, marketers, some of the great case studies of all time were doing you know, 100 years ago. And we lost our way for 50 years in the days of targeted mass media. And now we're back trying to do this thing called content marketing. We're trying to communicate directly. And that's what I love most about what's going on in today's marketing, that it's not a, it, it's the most democratic way of marketing, in my opinion, because it doesn't matter what budget you have. Uh, you can actually do this thing and you can actually be successful no matter who you are. And, and yet there are people all over this world that for some reason, a number of reasons that we've talked about on this show, uh, say that it can't be good for brands to do this and they should probably stop all this publishing and just go back to communicating through media companies. See, that's what I just don't get. I, and I'm not going to, that's all I'm really going to talk about, Robert. But I don't get that mentality that, and it's simply just, I'm just exhausted by it over and over again. And I actually think that 2016 is going to be the, this year, we're going to see this over and over again, every week, every day of every week, you're going to see posts that are going to focus on this. Uh, it doesn't work. It does. Now, you, we can look at the research. We've talked about some on the show today with the Forbes research or the PwC research. And, you know, we've talked many times about if you look at the uh, the mature uh, maturity cycle of marketers today, that they're not very mature when it comes to content marketing. There's still a lot of experimentation going on. A lot of that is still good because we don't know what works and what doesn't. And we're just trying, trying out there. But 
what I what I don't get is that uh, there's this just pure hatred and negativity over doing that. And the only thing I can think of, and I guess this is where I'm going to stop talking and I actually want to get your input on it. Maybe this is a really good thing because maybe this thing is actually starting to take hold. Like, because now we're really starting to get people saying, hey, stop this. This is this, you know, this is not going to work. Turn around. Uh, maybe now we're actually at the point where we're going to start seeing some significant movement forward because you've pr- finally got some people that are just they're so dug in that they're going to fight back with whatever they whatever they can. I don't know if I'm I don't even know if I'm right on any of this, but that's how I feel. I feel exhausted by it, but I just don't understand why this isn't the most noble way that you would want to communicate. First, the fact that we can communicate directly. Second, the fact that it may be the the best way. I think it's the best way that we can actually deliver value to our customers in our communications. Right. I think. Look, look. As always, very inspiring. I, you know, I'm, I'm ever more charged up this year for for the fight for because to, to me it's it's fun. It's interesting. Look, I've been in marketing a long time, and I, you know, to me this is so much more interesting trying to figure out content that adds value to the customer's life rather than something that persuades them to do something is just more interesting just yeah. plain and simple it's just from a so purely from a selfish point of view you know put on my Ayn Rand hat for a second here and say you know <laughs> purely from a purely self-centered standpoint this is a much more interesting way to spend my time now having said that you're exactly right what what is the the thing, as somebody somebody sent us, a few people sent us an article. There was a, we did not cover on the show this week. There was somebody who wrote an article this week. Um, it was on his LinkedIn page of all things, and said basically content marketing is dumb or something like that. And but he wasn't taking necessarily uh, an opposition to the approach as much as he was to the name. And but the argument to me is the same as it was to this other gentleman who posted the article last week and the others that are out there. It's like. Tell me what the alternative is. You know, it's easy to sit there and throw rocks and basically say content marketing is a is a is a stupid thing, is a dumb thing, is a useless thing, is an unproductive thing. But tell me what the alternative is. And and if the alternative is well, advertising, it's like well, as Doctor Phil would say, how's that working out for you? It, it's to me, there's an we, there's undeniably an evolution going on here. The evolution itself. We have never said that content marketing should replace everything you're doing in an integrated marketing and communications and sales strategy. It should not. Let's be very, very clear. Content marketing is not a replacement for – I go. I, I went back and looked at one of my original, original slides from 2008 on content marketing. And it, in that definition, you used to love it because it was the way the words were stacked on each other. It was basically it, – it's not a replacement it's additive too. It's a it's a separate but integrated methodology into your marketing and communication strategy. It is a piece of it, yep. and it it is a ever more increasing important piece of it. We would argue, but it, it at its core, you can't tell me that speak just as you said so eloquently. Speaking to your customers directly and in a way that adds value to their lives is not a productive exercise. If only because that is a way of talking to them that they prefer speaking with you. 
And, you know, to me, I just, you're right. I don't get it either. I have, I have yet to read an argument against content marketing where the argument for a replacement methodology was there that said, that made me go, huh, okay, that's how I could spend my time differently and the and and sort of deprecate down what content marketing would do in an integrated marketing and sales strategy I, until i see that i i'm i'm going to keep on keeping on and 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 i i i like it <laughs> i yeah so i <laughs> you know you just have to get up tomorrow and try and do it again. it's it's just interesting that well what's the thing that, i've been the, at this for so long yeah what's I'd the thing like, that first they laugh at you and then they do something now. with you and then all of a sudden you win right i mean i can't remember that quote exactly but it's it's that right i mean it's it it this is when the real work begins and this is where it gets interesting this is when it gets hard and it is when it gets you know this is this to me you know so many you know, one of the one of the common things that I'll get asked at an event is, you know, where's the template, right? Where is the sort of even, you know, the gentleman who commented on our blog is sort of looking for that, you know, this the subtext. He doesn't explicitly say this. I want to make that clear. But the subtext to what he's saying is we need sort of a provable algorithm of marketing to be able to prove that this thing works. There's never been a provable algorithm in marketing ever. That's that's the whole point of marketing is that it is much art as it is science. And so to the point that it's 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 something worth doing, it is as much about your gut and your instinct and your beliefs as it is about the numbers that prove that you're doing something productive. Amen, brother. Yeah. Anyway, I love it. Yeah. All right, keep on keeping on. What do we got? Keep for on this keeping on. That's <laughs> keep my, on, that's my keep 1970s on. coming out there. All right, um, we have a wonderful this old marketing. So, did you know? Did you see the news this week with uh, Xerox? You told me about it. I, I did not see it until I, you told me. This is, you know, now it is still as yet undetermined what's going to happen with the company. Um, but it looks like in a very similar fashion to what happened to Hewlett Packard, the company, because of investor pressure, Carl Icahn, I believe, is is one of the ones pressuring the company to do this. They're going to split into a couple of different companies here. And I think this is truly the end of an era for those of us who grew up in the certainly in the 70s and, and 80s and, and 90s and when Xerox was, you know, really just a, a, a sort of juggernaut of, of companies and technology. Um, this is a really, I mean, this is a big deal. And so we, there's, a, there's one that we've mentioned on a couple of, the, uh, of shows previous, a, 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 an example of content marketing, but we've never covered it explicitly as a this old marketing example. And it's, um, it, it's the Chief Optimist magazine at Xerox, which has been going for a few years now. Um, early 2012, Janine Rossignol, who is a VP of Marketing and Communications for the U.S. Client Operations, USCO at Xerox, she was looking at developing a demand generation programs for really trying to figure out what she was trying to do there. And some of their first activities was really to look at all the competition, look at what they found that was different. And they started looking at all these different companies in their space. And basically, they came to the conclusion that so many of us come to the conclusion of, which is everybody looked exactly the same. If you remove the names and logos, it basically, you couldn't tell them apart. So she really engaged agents, her agencies, she engaged her teams, and the big idea that they came up with was sort of using optimism, which I just absolutely adore, using optimism as an overreaching, differentiating idea. How could you start looking at technology and future and the, and the world and for CIOs specifically and look at 
optimism as sort of the base content pillar or theme that they were trying to drive, and they created a campaign around it. And they called it the Get Optimistic uh, campaign, and they started with a couple of biweekly emails that were driving to microsites and all of that. And as the campaign started to grow, it started to get traction, and all of a sudden they said, we can make this into a content platform. And they launched Chief Optimist Magazine, which was both a digital as well as a print, uh, full-color format magazine. They created in partnership with Forbes, of all people, and, and, and basically they sent it to their top prospects. They sent it you know, sort of as a very, very luxurious sort of piece that they could send, and it was a wonderful driven of articles, of profiles, of everything that was really about looking to the future in a very optimistic way. And, you know, some of the headlines are why optimists will win the future and the wonderful articles like that. And, of course, we're going to link to a, a wonderful piece on this um, in the show notes, et cetera. Did it drive results? It absolutely has driven results. As this one case study that I'm reading has said, it's generated measurable business results with a 1,000 new sales appointments and more than a billion dollars in pipeline revenue. I mean, that's just huge, a billion with a B in pipeline revenue. Huge ways to drive demand generation, drive awareness, um, and drive uh, a one Wonderful, wonderful content platform for a company, um, and I just, I, I, I really love this content platform. I've loved it for a long time, and and Janine, if she hears this, she'll know because we're both big fans of what she's done over there. Mm-hmm. And it's just a great example of of this old marketing that's been going on for a few years. And who knows what'll happen in the uncertain future? But something that I think um, will go down as one of the better properties out there. So a billion dollars in pipeline revenue. But tell me this, Robert. Um, did it was it socially shared enough? <laughs> uh, how was the Did web it, traffic performing? The H one tags were well uh, put I don't, in. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. I'm you know I'm not really buying. I'm not that seeing the Facebook. Yeah, thing. the Facebook not really, shares. Were not down. really seeing it. Yeah, not really Facebook seeing it. Shared, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's not working for me, man. Oh, this whole man. money revenue thing, yeah, you know, it behavior. Thing, it's not really doing I it know, anyway. I so, know. So I'm looking forward. I get to see you tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. So. I get on a plane at the crack of dawn tomorrow morning and I'll be there uh, in the afternoon and we're going to hang out and do some wonderful things with the Content Marketing University. That's right. Yeah. So we're, uh, we're I'm so excited about what's going on. So uh, you know, we're reopening uh, enrollment for Content Marketing University March 1st and you've done an amazing job with uh, you know kind of creating a new module system. Your, your 12-step program yeah, exactly I, I couldn't resist i couldn't because resist. after especially yeah. after this show <laughs> you need to drink need a 12 you're gonna need a drink program yeah. for content marketing so i'm looking forward to seeing you and hanging absolutely. out that'll be uh, that'll be some fun this week absolutely and thank you folks thank you for tuning in thank you for hanging out and thank you just for being you and and doing all the wonderful things you do that is it for joe polizzi this is me robert rosen we're signing off and you know give us those story ideas keep them coming folks we do appreciate it so much hashtag this old marketing on twitter and you know if you've got a question or anything else you can always send us an email as well this old marketing at contentinstitute.com and if you like this episode number 116 we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or stitcher.com or whatever your favorite podcatcher is all those links are available that we'll be putting out in the show on Monday night um, and of course we'll be putting the show links into the show post that will appear on Saturday at thisoldmarketing.com until next week everybody remember it's your story to tell you tell it well We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.
This show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.